I remember when we were first deciding to move overseas, we had a meeting with each of our four kids who were little at the time. Like I think our youngest was one year old and uh, one of the phrases that came out in the family meeting was we do hard things. So we're saying we are in a war-torn African country. Uh, we're being uh, ambiguous about the name of the country because there's very high persecution. And so the norm here is to kidnap, beat, and kill uh, Christians. So it's a uh, very serious thing. Regular prayer that we pray in the car as we leave in the morning is thank you God for one more day in this city because we never know when the last day will be. Why are we doing what we're doing? When I was a teenager, Bruce McAvoy was the youth pastor at Chapel Street and Jeff Frazier was the new senior high pastor at Chapel Street. There was just a deep conviction of uh, who God is, who he is to me, and that I'm ready to go to the ends of the earth to do anything that he calls me to do. Our decision to move to this part of Africa was a statistical decision. There's dozens of unengaged people groups that no one was going to because of the persecution. Factions in this country are fighting uh, with each other. More than half a million people uh, have been internally displaced and, and have left their homes. There hasn't been good education in this country for a decade. Pe people fear for their safety. I, I remember I was, I was in a car uh, with a friend. He was new to this country and he had said, so Doug, what is the message that you think people most need to hear? And I thought about it for a while. Hope. The title, Hope School, was actually the idea of a Muslim business guy in the community who saw that we were doing Hope Camps, Hope Clubs, and parent trainings to teach resiliency skills for families. And he said, Doug, you have Hope Camps, you have Hope Clubs, you should have Hope School. He said, I have an 86,000 square foot facility that you can use rent-free this message of hope is what our community needs. We started Hope School this past September with 120 students, which by October was 180 students. We have about 20% of the building set up with classrooms. About 80% of the building still needs development. There's so much that can be done, but like we don't have kitchens, we don't have refrigerators or microwaves, like there's, so there's certain pieces, there's not things for the kids to play with at recess. The mission is we want to bring hope 
and healing to traumatized families. And ultimately, we want them to develop a relationship with Jesus and follow Jesus. We believe each child has a unique God-given identity and special calling. We teach through different character traits, and each of those character traits line up with the fruit of the Spirit. Education so lines up with the Christian worldview that we can ask whatever question we want, uh, we can share whatever doubt we want, and that the answers will line up with our faith. And we believe if in this culture we develop a generation that learns to think critically, this is going to cause a seismic shift in how they approach who God is. As we do hard things, we kind of feel weak, but in that, God shows himself to be strong. And in doing hard things, we have experienced way more joy, way more of a sense of who God is and connection with him. This has been our hardest year ever. It's also been our most fulfilling, joyous year of significance. So I hope that was a blessing for you. It certainly was for me. Just so encouraged by their faith, their courage. Uh, and there's a reminder, it's sure it really is a wonderful opportunity that we have this Christmas to be a part of their story in some very, very small way. Um, I hope you don't take lightly what it is that God has chosen you and invited you as a member of this family to be a part of. So, uh, great. And I, I love it because you, whenever I talk to them and I hear their story, there's always parts of it that... Um, you like don't think about or you miss. Uh, and it's, so it lines up really well with what we're talking about this morning because we are talking a little bit about things that we miss, things that we don't see or, or think about. Uh, and I wanted to start this morning by sharing a story about someone called Joshua Bell. Now, Joshua Bell, you probably have not heard of him unless that you are super into classical music. Is any classical music fans by any chance? Okay. Do you know Joshua Bell? Okay. Liz knows Joshua Bell. I think Bill said he knew him. Uh, so Joshua Bell... Uh, is he was a former child prodigy. He plays the Stradivarius, uh, which is a very, very rare instrument, if you didn't know. The Stradivarius, it's worth $3.5 million, the actual instrument he has. Uh, and he was very well known from a young age. Um, but Joshua Bell, in 2007, he decided he was going to conduct a little experiment. He decided he was going to go busk uh, in the New York subway. So here's a picture of Joshua real quick, the first one we've got. Is it coming? So this is Joshua under normal circumstances. It will sell out concert halls, really big deal, very, very big deal. But he decided he was going to go busk on the New York City subway to see if anybody would notice the quality of the music that he's bringing. He took his $3.5 million Stradivarius. Here's a picture of him doing it. So that's him just playing. Now, do you, do you suppose many people stopped for him? No. In fact, uh, of 1,097 people that passed by Bell and gave money, only seven of them actually stopped and listened for any length of time. He played for 43 minutes playing six classical pieces from Bach and other composers, some of the greatest classical music that you will ever hear, and so many people 
We're too busy, too preoccupied, too uncurious, or simply too uninterested to see that one of the best that classical music has to offer was right there in front of them. J.J. Greer, a pastor I listen to, he says, it's possible to miss some of the greatest things in your life because your heart is not tuned to look for them. Sometimes our hearts are so dull and distracted that we don't recognize majesty even when it's right in front of us. How many of us, when we, we come to the Christmas season, have heard this story time and time again? We know the details intimately. We know about the shepherds. We know about the wise men. We can name the three gifts that they brought. We can call out the little details in the story. But how many of us miss what this story is really telling us? Miss what this moment was really all about? What was undoubtedly part of the greatest season in all of human history between the birth and the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, this was the most significant moment in all of human history. But many people didn't see it. But we're gonna look at the story today of one who did. Story of a man called Simeon. We had the Gonzaleses when they prayed for us and lit our candle today, they told us the passage of scripture from Luke 2 about Simeon, the story of the man who met Jesus in the temple when he was a child. And the story is important for us because you and I, we can choose to be like Simeon. We can choose to not miss what's there right in front of us. To not let the busyness and the hectic nature of the Christmas season keep us dull, deaf, and blind to what is really being given to us in Christ. So I want to pray for us and then we're going to dig into this account. We're going to talk about three things this morning. The promise of the Spirit, the proclamation of the Spirit, and then the piercing of the Spirit. Let me pray for us as we go into this. Father, thank you once again for an opportunity to gather as your people in your house, to be renewed by your word, to hear the story of the grace of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. God, I pray that this morning we would be like the man that we read about, that we'd be like Simeon, who have our eyes open. I just pray that you would open your word to us by your Holy Spirit to hear and to see who he really is, God. Give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are. We're jumping in. This is Luke 2, the story of Simeon, uh, and it's the story of a man waiting. Now, uh, if you're anything like me in the Christmas season, Amazon is a good friend of yours, right? That's where I get most of my gifts for family members. Isn't that, it's kind of sad now that we don't go out and look for something really nice. We just Google it and then buy it from Amazon. But what I'm really not good at is waiting for the package to arrive, because these days, I don't know whether you have this on your phone, when it's on its way to you, it sends you a message. And then as it's driving to your street, it tells you it's 10 stops away, it's seven stops away, you know? And so what I should do as a normal sane person is go, oh, thanks for the notification, I'm gonna get back to my life now. But what I do is, I'm like, okay, how many stops? How many stops? How many stops? And I keep going back to it and looking and watching that little dot. And somehow, apparently 10 stops away means like three hours. I don't know what the Amazon driver is doing for that length of time. But I'm really terrible at waiting, right? My eyes are just constantly fixated and I don't get anything else done while I'm waiting for something to arrive. So maybe you've you've felt that, maybe you've known that. And I think what that is, it's a symptom of a culture that we live in because we're not good at waiting in our culture. We're not people that are good at waiting. But Simeon was a man who waited well. This is what we're told about Luke 2, verses 25 through 26. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
Now, one of the big themes in Luke's gospel, when we read the account in Luke's gospel, is that that most people were unaware of what was really happening around them. An angel appears to Mary and tells her. Angel tells Joseph in a dream, and he tells the and host of angels tells shepherds. But really, quite honestly, that's a very, very small number of people, isn't it? Handful of people knew what had really happened. This wasn't a well-known event. But Simeon is one of the few that sees it. And Simeon is a man who sees it despite the fact that he doesn't have an angel announce it to him. He doesn't have a spectacularly miraculous moment. He's just been waiting really well and he knows what to look for. Now to help us understand where we are in the scheme of the story, uh, this is about 40 days after Jesus has been born. We know that because in Jewish uh, kind of law, the, the typical thing was after the firstborn son had been uh, born, you would travel to Jerusalem to the temple for two things. The mother would uh, go through a ritual uh, cleansing, kind of purifying uh, ritual. And the child himself, it was, if it was your firstborn son, the law of Moses uh, required that they be dedicated to the Lord, that the, the firstborn son in your family would be given to the Lord. It's something we still do today. That's why we have dedications in our church. We want to give to God our children. So they go to the temple to do this. And what we're told is that Mary and Joseph offered two pigeons instead of a lamb. And I mention that to you only so that you can understand that Mary and Joseph was a very impoverished family. The reason we know that is because the law required that you offer a lamb. However, if your family was too poor to afford a lamb to sacrifice as part of this, you were allowed to give two pigeons. And so two pigeons was kind of the go-to for families that were in poverty as a way for them to still partake in God's law and God's requirements. So perhaps you've never thought about that, but it's always striking me to realize that Jesus wasn't just born in a stable and had particular conditions that were lowly. His family was lowly. This was not a well-prosperous, well-known family. This was the lowest of the low. That's why Jesus came in. So nobody was looking for him. Nobody would be looking for the Messiah with a family like this, under conditions like this, except for Simeon. Simeon had his eyes wide open and saw things that so many other people didn't. Now, Simeon, what we, don't, we don't know much about him. We're not told much. We're told that he's righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. But beyond that, we don't really know. There's a lot of ideas and thoughts. Perhaps he was a priest of some kind in the temple. He was working there. He was being faithful there. One thing that we do think is that Simeon was pretty old, that he was towards the back end of his life for a variety of reasons. But somewhere, let's say, if we're generous with the time frame, somewhere between 50 and 70, which means that Simeon has lived his entire life under Roman occupation. There wasn't a time that Simeon can remember before this moment when the Romans were all in Israel and that the Jewish people were under their oppression. And even if he could remember, the Jewish people at this point have suffered under 400 years of oppression by various different nations. They have not ruled themselves for a very long time. But no matter what went on around Simeon, he held on to a promise that he would see the Lord's Christ. Christ is uh, the Greek word for anointed one, the Lord's anointed one, the chosen one that was going to come and rescue all of Israel. It says that he was waiting in particular for the consolation of Israel, which is kind of a, a unique phrase that kind of tells us Simeon knew God's word very well. Because in Isaiah, all the prophecies about God's Messiah told of one who would bring consolation and comfort to his people. He was waiting. 
Now, maybe at this point, if you have been with us for any length of time, you're like, are we going to do another sermon on waiting again? We talked about it with Zachariah and Elizabeth. We talked about it with Mary. We talked about it with Israel in general when we were looking at Isaiah. So are we going to do another sermon? Four weeks in a row on waiting. Here's what I want you to consider. Why would God talk about this so frequently in this story? Perhaps it might be because waiting is very important to you as a Christian. Learning to wait well is very important. Perhaps it's good to talk about this repeatedly because, as Pastor Brian put it this week to me when we were talking about this, we are a culture adverse to waiting. We are one of the worst people groups on earth at waiting. In our country, we can have groceries and goods delivered to us in the same day and we're still angry when it shows up five minutes too late. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, about the Advent story in a book called God is in the Manger, and this is what he said in there. He said, waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it's hardly finished planting the shoot, but all too often the greedy eyes are only deceived. The fruit that seems so precious is still green on the inside, and disrespected hands ungratefully toss aside what has so disappointed them. We're a culture that doesn't like to wait, and what that means is that when we are put in positions where we have to wait, we often ignore what God's trying to do in the waiting. We toss it aside because it's uncomfortable, it's unpleasant. But waiting well will shape you. Waiting well is better for your soul than getting what you want right away. The question isn't whether you and I will be asked to wait by God at some point in our life. The question is, When he asks us, will we wait well? Will we use that time well? How did Simeon wait? Simeon showed up. He didn't grow weary. He kept himself focused on the promise that God had given him. It reminds me of what we're told in Isaiah 40 when we say in in verse 31 of chapter 40, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a passage that we hear a lot when we talk about waiting. But if you, if you listen to the words of that passage of Scripture, it doesn't sound like waiting, does it? Running, walking, moving, rising up, not being weary. That's what godly waiting looks like. It's active. It's moving. It's confident. What are you waiting on God for? What is it this Christmas season that in your heart you are waiting and you are longing and you are hoping for? Are you waiting well? Maybe you're waiting for reconciliation in your family of some kind. Broken relationships that's been painful and you're waiting and you're longing. God said it right. Maybe you're waiting for an area of healing. You have been going through years of suffering and struggle and just longing and hoping, God, will you heal me? Will you help the doctors understand what's going on with me? Will you deal with this problem that's gone on so long? There's any number of things that we're waiting for, and we've highlighted them before when we've talked about them, but the question is, in your waiting, will you choose to see the God who is moving? Will you choose to be active and present in the things that God is doing in your life? Because you and I, if we are followers of Christ, we don't wait like the rest of the world because we have a confidence, we have a conviction, we have a hope that doesn't move. Essentially, we're not checking on the Amazon order every five minutes to see how much closer it is because we know it's a certainty that it will arrive. 
I'm sure like me, you've noticed that our country is full of things that could consume our attention and distract us from waiting well. We ask questions, where are we going? What if this happens? What if this happens? Well, what about this person and this leader and these circumstances and these situations? But followers of Jesus are not manipulated into being more fearful or less loving because of the things that we wait for. They shouldn't have that power over us because we know who God is. We know what he's promised us. For Simeon, the word of God and God's promises to him was stronger than all the circumstances around him. And the same should be true about us. Because we are people who have received the proclamation of the Spirit. The proclamation of the Spirit. Let me tell you about this. There's a, there's a painting that Rembrandt created about this very scene that we're talking about this morning, about Simeon and Jesus in the temple. And he actually painted the same scene twice in his life. He painted it very early on um, in, uh, when he was 25 years old. And these, I want to show you the first picture here. This is what he painted when he was 25 years old. It's kind of a, a zoomed out scene of what's happening in the temple. You can see just in the center there where the light is, that's Simeon holding the child Jesus next to his mother Mary. But you can see all everything else going on there. There's other people in the temple, there's busyness, there's light shining down. So this is, for sure, this is a significant moment, but there's a lot of other things going on. Now what's interesting is, if we fast forward to the last year of Rembrandt's life, when he was an old man, he painted this same scene again. But this is what he painted. It was a much closer look at Simeon and Jesus. And in fact, everybody else has disappeared from the scene. There's one figure in the background that's clothed in shadow because Rembrandt wants our eyes to be on what's happening between two people, Simeon and Jesus. At the end of his life, Rembrandt saw this moment differently. And I think he saw it in a way that all of us should see it. That this wasn't just one more event in the Advent story. It wasn't just a spectacular moment with all the busyness of everything else around it. This was an intimate moment between a man who had been waiting his whole life for God's hope and then God putting it in his hands. In Luke 2, 27 through 33, this is what Simeon says as he takes a hold of Jesus as he sees him. It says, he came in the spirit to the temple and when the parents brought the child to Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. And his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Uh, this is kind of a shocking moment. When you, can you think, those of you that have children, when you had a newborn infant, how you would feel if a random old man ran up to you and scooped the baby out of your hands? I remember when we had our first children and you get so, um, you get so nervous about people coming up and kissing on your baby and wanting to be close to your baby. And poor Mary is just given birth 40 days ago in less than ideal conditions. And so she's probably not thrilled about random people running up to her. But Simeon can't contain himself. Because as soon as he sees this child, he's overcome. The Spirit of God speaks to him and says, this is it. This is the one that you've been waiting for, Simeon. Simeon's experienced what Paul prays for all of us in Ephesians 1.18. Paul writes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
Spirit's proclaiming two things to Simeon and through Simeon. That he is your salvation, Simeon, and that he is the world's salvation, Simeon. Firstly, that he was his salvation. I want you to see the beauty of what happens because Simeon, this old man, he runs up to this newborn infant, scoops him up, and he says, now I can depart in peace. Almost as if Simeon is saying, everything I've ever wanted is right here in my hands now. I can be done. You ever, you ever heard someone say when something really spectacular has happened to them, you say that I could just die right now because it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. And what's so ironic is what he says is he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now Jesus' name was, uh, we, we, he wouldn't have been called Jesus, that's a transliteration, his name was Yeshua. Yeshua means God saves, God's salvation. So essentially, Simeon is holding him and saying, Jesus, God's salvation, Jesus. I see it right here, he's using his own name. Having had the spirit of God open his eyes, he could depart in peace. But has anything else in Simeon's life changed? Have the Romans disappeared? Has all the pain and the bed and everything else that was going on in his life, has that just suddenly vanished into the ether now that he's seen this child? How is it that Simeon can say, now I can depart in peace. Now I've got everything I could ever want. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I'm completed. It's because he saw that Jesus was the goal, that Jesus was the salvation. Not what Jesus would do for Israel. Not the circumstances that he might change. It was this child. That was the goal for Simeon, to be near him, to see him, to hold him. Have you seen God's salvation for yourself the way that Simeon has? Have you seen Jesus in that light? and knowing that he is not just a vehicle to reach some destination. Jesus is himself the end goal that God has for you. He is salvation. He is hope. He's not just an idea. He's not just some cute religious plan. He isn't just a pleasant story that we tell ourselves to try and feel better. Jesus, the child in the manger, is God the Father giving to us his most precious and prized son. The son in whom he is well pleased. There really is nothing more that God can give you than his son. That is God emptying his bank account for you by giving you his son. He's the treasure. We may think that what we need most is physical health, financial assistance, family reunion, moving things around in my life to make it a little bit more accommodating, but that's not what we need. What we need most deep in our souls is to know Jesus, is to see in him the answer to every question, the answer to every longing, every burden. And let's be honest, I'm speaking about myself as much as anyone else, sometimes we hardly see him at Christmas. Come to church, we listen, we do the stories, we do the rituals, and then we move on because life's so busy, it's so hectic, it's so full but I would ask us to pause and like Simeon, open our eyes and see what's there. See this morning the Christ who loves you, who is God's very best given to you to know, to walk with. And when you see him that way, every little struggle in your life becomes an opportunity to see him better. 
All of a sudden, I don't need the circumstances to change because all of those circumstances, however painful and difficult and challenging, are an opportunity to better see him and his love for me. And if I get Jesus, it doesn't matter if the circumstances change because if I get more of him, I'm getting more of what I really need. But real quick, Simeon also does something else very important. He doesn't just proclaim him as salvation for himself. He proclaims that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now this is important because in Simeon's day, it would have been very strange to think of God's Messiah as someone who has come for anybody but the Jewish people. The Messiah was coming for the consolation of Israel, not the world. He was coming to set right what had gone wrong there. And yet, Simeon knew the scriptures perhaps better than many in his day because he knew things like Isaiah 49, 6. And this is what it says. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. See, God's intention for his son was for him to unite all the tribes and tongues and nations of earth to reconcile all of us to God. Walk with him, know him. It's too light a thing that we should keep Jesus to ourselves. We are diminishing his glory by saying he's for us and no one else. He's supposed to exist in this nice controlled little box in my life and we'll keep him here and he'll do the things that I need him to do but we won't ever let him out. Simeon saw that that is too light a thing. That is too little for the God of the universe's son. Consider this Christmas how you are bringing the light of Jesus to those around you. Because this message, this gospel message, it needs to leave our walls. It needs to escape here. We need to proclaim it. Simeon couldn't control himself. He knew this is so beautiful. This is so magnificent. It's so incredible. I need to tell of what this boy is going to grow up to be, what he's going to do for every single nation on earth. You think about Jesus like that in your life as something that you just can't keep to yourself? How do you share his life? Do you serve? Do you tell people about him? Do you pray for others? Do you invite them to join you? Whether that's here at church or whether that's in any other corner of your life where you're engaging with God's word and with his son. I've mentioned many times here at church, one of my favorite verses is Philemon 1.6, short book in the New Testament where Paul writes to Philemon, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith would have its full effect that you would know every good thing that's in Jesus for your sake. He says, when you share Jesus, Philemon, when that happens in your life, you will see Jesus better. But all of that will only happen if, like Simon, we are pierced by the Spirit. This clothing, closing conversation that he has with Mary and Joseph is so incredible. After he proclaims this, Simeon tends to Mary. He looks Mary right in the eye and he says to her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what the Spirit is revealing to Simeon? The Spirit's showing the shadow of the cross is hanging over the manger. I want to show you a picture here of 
to help us think about this. Because the manger and the cross are inseparable. You actually can't celebrate Christmas unless you see the shadow of the cross hanging over it. That's what Simeon is doing. When he tends to Mary and he says, a sword will pierce your own soul also. He's telling Mary, it's gonna cost you to love your son. You're gonna see something very painful. You're gonna experience great pain because your son, his glory is tied with his death. His plan of salvation requires his suffering. And to be a mother, to see your son go through that, it's gonna be painful. I talk sometimes with people and we have the silly pastor conversation of which is the better holiday, Easter or Christmas? Which one's more important? Is it the baby in the manger? Is it the man on the cross? And it's, it's a silly conversation and really the truth is you, you cannot separate them. He came in the manger so that he could reach the cross. It is one fluid motion in God's mind. He is sending his son to carry it all. And that would have been so hard for people like Simeon to understand. They were not expecting a suffering savior. They were not expecting a Messiah that would die, that would give himself over to their enemies and lose purposefully. Can you imagine how ludicrous it was to think this, this newborn child, this is the plan that God's got to set everything right? It just doesn't make sense. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles because it didn't make sense. Whole idea of Jesus from the start, we, we need to confess as Christians, yes, it doesn't make sense. It's odd. But just because it's not what we expected doesn't mean it's not what we need. Just because God's plan isn't the way that we would plan, it doesn't mean that it's a bad plan. In fact, what we need to do is humble ourselves and say, God knows a lot more than me. He sees a lot of me. He understands a lot more than me. And so if this is his plan, then this is what's good. But there's a deeper meaning too. When Simeon says this to Mary, he's not simply helping Mary understand what it's gonna cost her as a mother. There's certainly something unique about that in his words for Mary at that time for her to hear. But there's also a message for us. Because all of us must be pierced by him. Sword that will pierce is not just the pain of death that Mary will uniquely experience, but it is the necessity of everyone who wants to see him as he really is. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Is it possible that we keep the child in the manger at arm's length sometimes because when we get too close, we feel him piercing us, seeing to the depths of who we are, knowing about all of the things that roll around inside of our hearts. We get nervous that if he cuts us open and sees just how broken we really are, if we have to look at that with him, we don't like that. Let's keep him in the manger. Let's keep him at arm's length. But Jesus was given to us for our good. Like a surgeon with a scalpel, he has come to do a very painful surgery that will ultimately set us free. 
He wants to expose those things that are in us that are broken so that we can come to him, see our need for him. And like Simeon, say, we've seen your salvation. We've known your peace. If you uh, have been at Chapel Street for any length of time, you know that our lead pastor, Jeff Frazier, is obsessed with C.S. Lewis. And I will join with him on occasion because C.S. Lewis was a very smart guy. And in particular, one of the things that he did was smartest is writing the Chronicles of Narnia. I didn't read them until I was an adult. And those books have so much insight into the truth of what the message of the gospel is. I want to tell you the story really quickly as we close this morning of Eustace. Eustace is a character in the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's about the third book in the series, depending on how you are setting them up. And uh, in this story, the children have come back to Narnia, and Eustace is a particularly greedy and selfish boy. And on one magical island that they find themselves, he hoards treasure, and what happens is he gets turned into a dragon. That he loves the treasure so much, this curse is put on him, and he becomes a dragon. And there's nothing he can do to undo it. It's just a total mess. And after he goes through this, he, he kind of starts to change. And he, he, he feels the burden of it. But then Eustace meets Aslan. Aslan the lion, the Christ figure. This is what, this is taken exactly from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This is the exchange. This is Eustace speaking. He says, then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. And I was afraid of his claws. But I can tell you I was pretty desperate. So I just laid down flat on my back and I let him do it. And I want you to hear this. The very first tear that the lion made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. And the only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of knowing that it was peeling off. If you've ever picked a scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy, a very British thing to say, but it's such fun to see it coming away. And he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been, and he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd got no skin on. And he threw me into the water. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I'd found that all the pain had gone. And I'd saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. Quite honestly, when I read that, even though it's a children's book, I get emotional because that is a picture of what it means to be pierced by Jesus. The claws of the lion will sink deep in you, so deep it feels like it's cut to your heart and it will hurt, but it will set you free. In the end, you'll find yourself liberated from the burdens. You'll find the joy of being loved and known by him, letting the surgeon do his work. It's the kindness of Christ's scalpel that pierces us so that he might heal us. So what we need to do is we need to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. I want to put it back up. We mentioned it earlier. But we need to pray that we, like Simeon, would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That we may know what is the hope to which he's called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you see at Christmas what Simeon saw? Do you see that savior? That child given be the hope of everything you've ever needed? Have your eyes seen his salvation? 
Are your eyes open to the wonder, the grace, the greatness of that child? The question for all of us is, will we pass him by and join with all the other busy people in the temple? Or will we take hold of him? Rejoice for him. Let him do his work in us and see his greatness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Each week, Lord, we remind ourselves of his coming in this season, his advent. Lord, I confess even myself, even as I prepare sermons and I think through this story, my heart is sometimes blind to this child and the hope that he brings with him. Father, I pray that you would cut through the busyness and the schedules and the everything, God, so that we could see your son. Lord, do the same work in us that Eustace describes in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Lord, that he would cut to our hearts and set us free. Thank you, Lord, that our eyes have seen your salvation. May he now be a light to all the world through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, before we go, just a few announcements to make sure that you uh, are aware. If you haven't yet registered for our Christmas service, we'd love for you to do that. It would be a huge blessing for us just to know who's going to be coming to each of our services so we can be fully prepared. Uh, even if you don't have children, please do register for us. You can do that at uh, chapelstreet.church/christmas. Uh, as a reminder, we do have two services, 2 and 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve this coming weekend. Can't believe it's here already. Uh, and then when you came in today, you should have received a little card like this uh, with our Christmas service times on the information. I would love for you to think of one person in your life who you would love to come and hear the hope of the gospel this Christmas, someone uh, who you know just needs to know about Jesus, and pass this on to them, invite them. We'd love to fill this house with people who need to hear the story of hope and goodness that we heard about this morning through Simeon. Uh, so again, if you have any questions about that, let us know. If you're a new guest with us, even this morning, Thank you so much for joining us in worship. We're so glad you're here. We have a gift for you at our welcome desk. We'd love to pass it on. I would love to meet you. Come let me know that you're new uh, and we'll chat. But otherwise, let me leave you this morning uh, with a benediction. Would you pray this with me? May we go with the eyes of our heart enlightened, as Simeon's word, to see your salvation, the child in the manger, the man on the cross, and the one who has risen from the dead. May we know him better. It's in Christ's name that we go. Amen.